One of the often overlooked parts of the modern church family is how the Holy Spirit should be working within the church. It's a topic that's confusing, and perhaps because of that, it's not often taught. Today, Pastor Randy Crozier will be digging into the role the Holy Spirit plays in the church and what a healthy church looks like. Here's Pastor Randy. We do have a serious problem, a spiritual ailment or a malady that has overswept the churches of North America. And uh, it's a crisis or a disorder that ultimately stems from something that's essential that has become in large part absent or rare among us, even to the point of being unheard of or unseen in some places. And ultimately, it is the fact that we no longer rely upon the Holy Spirit in the body of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not speaking to you specifically, at least at this juncture in this message. Albeit, that isn't to say that I'm not speaking to you either. But my comment is not confined only to here. There is a widespread problem where the body of Christ is no longer leaning on the Holy Spirit to see things happening. So in this respect, on this cylinder, we are not firing the way that we should be. You see, the Holy Spirit is as essential to a believer's life and to a church's existence as air is to breathing. We cannot live without air. You suck the oxygen out of this place, and I guarantee you we will be in distress quickly, and our distress will turn to the ultimate tragedy in short order. We will die. Similarly, in the absence of the Holy Spirit's movement, in the absence even of relying, not just in a kind of accidental fashion, but in a deliberate cognizant way, we make a conscious choice to lean on the Spirit of God, then something very bad begins to happen in the body of Christ. You know, I think that the best way to illustrate the significance of the Holy Spirit is to go to that book in the Bible, and I don't mean a reference in particular, I mean the book as a whole, that really puts a spotlight on the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't to say that this is the only book, and I'm talking about Acts, that puts the spotlight on the Holy Spirit. But you need to understand that the raison d'etre, the purpose of the book of Acts in the Word of God, and understand that Acts, like many books of the Bible, services us in a wide variety of ways. There are many significant truths that come to us through that portion of the inspired Word of God. But the ultimate purpose or function of the book of Acts is to bring to our attention that the church of Jesus Christ is a Holy Spirit-driven movement. That in the absence of that force, that power at work in our midst, there is no way for us to execute on God's will. There is absolutely no way apart from the Holy Spirit that we can get on any more than your gasoline automobile is going to take you anywhere with an empty tank. We need the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts magnifies this for us. When you're looking at the book of Acts, one of the things that becomes immediately apparent is that the early church enjoyed remarkable success. Peter stands up, preaches his first sermon, the very first sermon of the church, and 3,000 people give their hearts to Jesus Christ. From that point on, the Bible says in Acts that daily people were added to the body of Christ. Not occasionally, 
Not every now and again on, on surprise moments, but 3,000 people give their hearts to Christ when the very first sermon of the church is preached, and every day thereafter, people came to Jesus. And the Bible says in Acts later on that the believers were scattered abroad, subsequent to the persecution that was led by Paul. And what did they do? The Bible says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And while often we get the impression or we walk around with the idea that maybe Paul was the only guy who established churches, there are churches that Paul wrote to and nobody knows who established them. And you know who it probably was? These people who were scattered abroad. And they went out in the power and the enablement of the Holy Spirit and the gospel enterprise saw remarkable success. Well, here's the thing. In sociology, in the field of anthropology, these folks, they study movements and they study the habits and patterns of mankind and they can tell you, well, you know what? There are certain things that are true under a given situation, normally speaking, and if these things are true, this is what's, what's going to happen. And if these things aren't true, then something else is going to happen. If you look at spiritual or religious movements in the history of the world, there are certain markers or there are certain situations that attach themselves to those movements that determine whether they will or will not be successful and whether they will or will not rise to the level of cultural significance. And do you know that in relation to the church, none of them are present? Not one of them. The things that typically indicate that a movement a religious movement is going to flourish and explode and become a dominant force. Not one of those typical indicators was true of the church. Um, in fact, the opposite is true. Of the list of things that normally are indicative of failure for a, a religious movement, the list of things that typically are associated with religious groups that while they would like they imagine or dream that maybe they're going to become a big deal, that the things that typically say, no, it's never going to happen, all of those were characteristic of the church. And yet the church flourished. Within 300 years, the church was the dominant force in the Roman Empire. It went from being a small group uh, of nobodies with not a single significant advantage or cultural attachment or association, no sponsorship of any kind that was worth speaking of in terms of human source. And in 300 years' time, which, understand, from my point of view or yours, that might seem like a long time. From an historical point of view, that's just a snap of the fingers. And in 300 years' time, the church goes from being a, a nothing movement to being the dominant force in the Roman Empire. How does that happen? You know, when, when all of the things that typically are credited for success aren't there, and all of the things that are typically associated with failure where religious movements are concerned are there, how does the church flourish in the manner that it does? Because of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, that's the message of Acts. That's what's screaming out from its pages from start to finish, that the church is a Holy Spirit-driven affair, and it's because of the activity of the Holy Spirit that the church has the success it does. It's not something that happened because of the genius of its adherence. I mean, we like Peter. We admire Paul. We think Barnabas was a really broad-minded and big-hearted kind of guy. And we go through the list of all of these biblical characters who mean something to us. But the real truth is that among them, there were very few who were notable insofar as their capabilities that were kind of brought to the table. 
And that's not strange because the Bible says that God chooses the things that are not to confound the things that are. That God goes out and what does he look for? Does he look for the cream of the crop? Does he look for the brightest and the best? Does he look for the people that have all the talent in the world? No, God is content to select the folks who have the least to bring to the table. And he just pours out the Holy Spirit, the grace that comes upon their lives and all kinds of stuff starts to happen. The church is a Holy Spirit-driven movement. It was from the beginning, and it will always be if it is to continue to be ultimately successful and a blessing in the world. Now, in the past, a message along these lines would be one that Pentecostal people would interpret to be reproof for others, but affirmation for us. Hey, because we're in, right? I mean... Hearing all those things that I said this just a moments ago, were well, there the things that, well, I heard you saying amen, and I saw you nodding your heads and all of those things. So typically in the past, as I said, we would take comments like that to be reproof or uh, some kind of corrective comment relative to others, but ultimately an affirmation for us, kind of a pat on the back. Though, indeed, indeed, we've got it right. We're on the right path. We're on the right road. But I want to say something to you right now, that insofar as this message is concerned this morning, that is not the case. I am not saying to you this morning that we're in like Flynn and everybody else isn't. Because I believe that even in Pentecostal churches today, we have a problem when it comes to reliance on the Holy Spirit. We have a problem. And I'm saying that to you at this point because I want you to own the admonitions that come from the Word of God. I don't want you to sit there this morning and, and sort of pass them, figuratively speaking, over your shoulder and right out the door to somebody else. These are things that you know, matter if you're Baptist. Or these are things that are meaningful and you really need to hear if you're a Lutheran. I want you to hear them this morning as things that we need to hear. As truths that are important for us if we're going to be the church that Jesus Christ wants us to be. If we're going to be the congregation that we need to be in order to effect uh, function on the will of God. Now, here's the thing. On paper, I have no doubt that our doctrine is sound. But you understand that there's often a great gap between what a people believe on paper and how things are really playing out in life. You see, on paper, our doctrine is sound, but I fear that in practice, we have, that we have practically or functionally narrowed the activities of the Holy Spirit so significantly that we cannot rely on Him because we don't expect Him to do all that He stands ready, indeed, that He has to do in order for the body of Christ. Remember, just like we need air to live, we need the Holy Spirit to live spiritually. And we need the Holy Spirit not doing a select number of things or those things that we are most attracted to, but we need to extend to the Holy Spirit in our thinking and in our believing the liberty to do all the things that are mandated in the Word of God for the Holy Spirit to do. But I think that from a practical standpoint, no matter what our doctrine says, that in the Pentecostal community, we have narrowed the activities of the Holy Spirit to so few that we are ultimately missing out on significant things that only the Holy Spirit can do. 
For example, and understand this, I'm going to share with you a short list of the things that I think that we principally focus on in the Pentecostal community relative to reliance on the Holy Spirit. Understand, some of these things are absolutely critical. What I'm about to share with you is not to say that these are not important things. The problem is not with what's on the list. The problem is with what's not on the list. What we're not looking to the Holy Spirit for. So some of these things that we look to the Holy Spirit for are paramount in their importance. But there are so many other things that we've forgotten about. And so ultimately, we are not relying on the Spirit to do the things He needs to do. So we look to the Holy Spirit for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Well, praise God. We should. We look to the Holy Spirit uh, for speaking in tongues. Hallelujah, we should. We look to the Holy Spirit uh, for the nine gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 between verses 7 and 11. For the nine, hallelujah. But did you know that there's actually 25 gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in the Bible? There's a simple case in point. We look to the Holy Spirit, and that isn't to say that we should neglect any of the nine gifts, the power-oriented gifts that we are typically familiar with and expect or anticipate the Lord to be operational in in our midst, but there are a lot of other ones. And understand, if God gifts the church with something, it's because He knows we need it, not because He thought, well, this would be nice for you. The gifts correspond directly to the needs in the body of Christ. And are related to the mandate that's given to us. And apart from the operation of the... We are typically conscious of the Holy Spirit and reliant upon Him for ecstatic or euphoric personal blessings. We want to just, hallelujah, feel the presence of God. We should. Or we look to Him for ecstatic and euphoric congregational blessings. We want the Spirit to move. We want to be able to leave church and say... Woo, hallelujah. That was a high old time in the house tonight. But you understand, that's about it. Typically speaking, in an active sense, now I'm not saying that's where our doctrine ends. What I'm talking about is on a practical level and what our typical expectations kind of on the ground are. So we look to the Holy Spirit or we rely Him for the infilling. We rely Him for the, the gift of tongues. We rely on Him relative to the nine power gifts, the charisms of the of 1 Corinthians for ecstatic and euphoric personal blessings and for comparable blessings on a congregational level. And unfortunately, that's kind of where it ends for many of us in the Pentecostal community. And yet the Bible says that there's so much more that the Holy Spirit not only wants to do, but that He needs to do in the body of Christ. And we need to be not just kind of accidentally looking to Him, but we need to we actively, it's typical of the, of the Pentecostal community that we actively look for him to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to give you 10 things, 10 additional things, and this isn't even a comprehensive list. It's just representative. The, the truth is there's absolutely, absolutely, absolutely nothing about being a Christian that isn't tied up with the Holy Spirit of God. But I'm going to mention just 10 things to you that while we may actively say we want the Holy Spirit to baptize people, that we don't look to Him to actively do. We don't cognizantly arrive at a decision where we say we are relying or we are leaning on the Holy Spirit to do these things. Now, these are not even chosen because they're more important than others. Just 10. 
And the point is that they're just, not that these 10 things should become our focus, but that in everything we need to become aggressive in the idea that we are leaning heavily on the Holy Spirit, counting on Him to move and work in in our midst. For example, the Holy Spirit gives us power. Now, probably that one is as close to active as it could possibly be, but, but Acts 1 and 8 says, but you will receive power. Uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the end of the earth. So here's the thing. If you are not consciously and deliberately leaning on the Spirit of God to fulfill or execute this function in your life, that He would extend to you power, not power to talk in tongues, although that's where the power to talk in tongues comes from, but power to be a witness to him. If you are not consciously looking to him and saying, Holy Spirit of God, I want that power coursing through my life, then your witness is going to be compromised. We cannot be the compelling, powerful representatives of Jesus Christ apart from conscious reliance upon the Holy Spirit to imbue us with the power to do so. The Holy Spirit is how God gives us his love. Understand now, because let me read the reference to you. Romans 5 and 5. Hope uh, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love the poetic uh, uh, nature of, of King James. It, it says, it's been spread abroad in our hearts. So it's kind of like smeared all over the interior of your heart. So you are expected to love everybody. That is a basic expectation that the Lord holds forth from us as believers. It's one of those things that sets us apart from the world, is that we love. Well, I'm pretty sure that you've already figured this out. You're going to meet some people in life who are pretty hard to love, whether it's because of them or it's because of you. But you're going to meet some people in life that are pretty hard to love. But that doesn't mean you don't have to love them. Uh Uh-oh. How do you handle that? How do you deal with the fact that you're expected to love everybody, but there are people who are either unlovable in and of themselves or hard for you to love because of something in you? What do you do? You have to rely on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God. But it takes active reliance upon the Holy Spirit. It takes understanding that you need the agency of the Spirit in order to make it happen. Number three, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Have you ever been, uh, you know, deep in prayer, you know, but you just kind of go still, like the, the words stop, even the, even the words formed in your mind, but you just feel like your heart is just continuing to commune with God? There's just kind of this non-verbal dialogue, this connection, this back and forth flow. That's the Holy Spirit praying through you. Last week, I challenged the fact that in order for us to be the church that we ought to be, we need to excel in prayer. We can't be people who are trying to take on this work in a carnal fashion. But until we rely on the Holy Spirit, we're never going to be the prayer people that we're meant to be. And then the Holy Spirit reminds us uh, of the words of Christ. John chapter 4, uh, verse uh, 14 and verse 26. You ever, you know, been, you know, strolling down the road, you're kind of working your way through life, and all of a sudden it pops into mind, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, some of those words written in red. Uh, or, or it occurs to you, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Or maybe love your enemies or go and sin no more. That's the Holy Spirit. And we need that. You see, we are not a competent people. No matter how self-assured you may be, 
you know, you're human. That makes you fundamentally incompetent. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. You know, we think we know what we're doing, but we're all ultimately incompetent. Even the most competent among us is incompetent by the standard of God. We need the Holy Spirit speaking to us all the time. Bringing back to our remembrance the living words of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it only happens when we begin to cultivate deliberate reliance on the Holy Spirit. Because that's something He does. That's a role that He plays. The Holy Spirit uh, helps us to obey the Word of God. Oh my goodness. You ever had a, a year or a month or even just a day when you really meant to do the right thing? I mean, you really intended to live big for Jesus. I mean, and you tried. You tried. You tried, and you tried, and you tried harder. And what happened? My best guess is that the harder you tried, the more discouraged you became. Why? Because we're supposed to rely on the Holy Spirit. We're called to, to, to let the Spirit... I've got to read this one to you. Under that, the Holy Spirit helps us to obey God's Word. Ezekiel 36. Now, this was spoken uh, to folks in the Old Testament who didn't even have the Holy Spirit resonant in them. And so, come, reapply it or re rearrange it in order to you know, put it in our context, the Holy Ghost resonant in us. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. When you start relying on the Holy Spirit, all that stuff that you had a hard time with, all that stuff that you put your shoulder to the wheel and you shoved as hard as you could push in order to live that way, well, you're never going to succeed. But the Holy Ghost has no trouble whatsoever. And so when we start deliberately and actively, cognizantly, consciously leaning and relying on the Holy Spirit, not just for a few narrow things, but everything. And you know, so the Holy Spirit helps us to kill sin. Oh my goodness. Romans 8, 12 through 13. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You have no longer got an obligation to obey the impulses of your flesh. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. The power of the Spirit. You know, the sin nature is never gone. But the Holy Spirit of God can put a hammerlock on that thing. That will enable us to have, but it takes the Holy, it, it's the Spirit of God sanctifies, the Spirit of God changes us in the character of Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit produces fruit. Oh my goodness, it's the fruit of the Spirit, folks. All those virtues, all those character traits, you know, that are so, you know, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Only the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills you with hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Irrepressible hope is supposed to be like love, one of those things that marks us out in the world. And yet we live in a pretty hopeless world in many respects. There are a lot of things going on that could just beat you down. But the Bible says that one of the things that defines us is that while others lose their hope, we as believers have a resilient hope. And in fact, it's more than resilient. 
It's overflowing. How do you get that? I'll tell you what, positive thinking is not going to do it for you. You can watch all the self-help tapes in the world, and you can hear all the admonitions that don't say a negative word and only say positive stuff. It isn't going to be about the language you use. Oh, I'll grant you that your language can deter or break in some measure your faith. But at the end of the day, it's an activity of the Holy Spirit. So what's the point? We need to be people who are not just looking for the Holy Spirit to do a narrow range of things. We need to cultivate a place where we are absolutely thoroughly, completely, undeniably reliant on the Holy Spirit, both as individuals and as a congregation. We need to start expecting things from Him. I've shared that Jesus, on two occasions, at least two, maybe three, but on two occasions, He looked at the disciples and He said, be it unto you according to your faith. Be it unto you according to your faith. What is faith? Well, you know, you can be defined in a lot of ways. But among other things, faith is expectation. Be it unto you according to your expectation. If you expect little, you get little. God stands ready to pour out measureless blessing on us via the Holy Spirit. That's Him in us. Active, moving, working with an agenda so big. Those ten things and the things that I read to you that are also in that list. The things that we typically expect. That's just a fraction of what the Lord wants to do. But in order for him to do it, we have to cultivate an active expectation, a reliance on him to start doing things in our lives. So we're pursuing. I close with this. Oh my goodness. I could have preached even longer. We're pursuing God's preferable future. What's a vision? Without without a vision, the people perish. You've, I'm sure, heard it many, many times. What is a vision? It's a dream. You know, it's an idea of what the future is going to look like. That's a vision. Where does your vision come from? Does it come from a book you read? I read lots of books. I love to read. Should your vision for the future come from a book that you read? Should your vision be determined by Bill Hybels because he pastors Willow Creek? Should your vision be Rick Warren? Is that where our vision should come from? The only person who is going to support a vision is the person who gives it. So if we're going to have a vision, it needs to be God's vision. That's the idea. It needs to be God's idea of a preferable future. And when we buy into God's idea of a preferable future and we make God's vision our vision, then, oh my goodness, God will be there to make it happen. And God's idea. And so the idea why we're looking into the Word of God at these different things is because it doesn't make a difference where you're at in the world. These are things that God looks for in a preferable future for us. That we would be a church that is prayerful through to our very bones. That we would be a church that is deeply, deeply reliant on the Holy Spirit in every conceivable way, both for our own lives personally and congregationally speaking. That's God's preferable future for us. So I'm not telling you that I've got better insight than anybody. I'm I'm not going to even attempt to improve on the purpose-driven life or on Bill Hybels, you know, strategy. I, I just, I'm bringing to you the only thing that I know that's authoritative because, you know, I'm no prophet. I'm not telling you that I have heard from God and this is where we should go. But I have heard the word and so have you. And I don't think that anything on these boards is new to you. Compassionate congregational care, faithful proclamation of the gospel, great church imbued with the presence of God, reliance on the Holy Spirit, 
prayer, responsible use and discipleship of all the things blesses God bless, intentionally and deliberately discipling people and embodying the love of God. Is there anybody here for you that's a whole new concept? I don't think so. So we're just looking at the Word of God. Thanks for listening to Christ is the Answer. You can find out more about the Seaview Full Gospel Church by visiting our website at seaviewfullgospel.com. There, you can subscribe to Christ is the Answer as a podcast and get each new sermon delivered to your phone or tablet automatically every week. You can also listen to episode archives on our website and share it with friends or family so they can enjoy Christ is the Answer as well. Until next week, remember, Christ is the Answer.